Hello, hello. Welcome back and thank you for tuning in to the Climate Literacy Show. In order to fight for the environment, we're going to need to know a little bit about the environment. I'm Max Tepper and my goal is to speak to experts to demystify the science around climate change and environmental hazards and break it down for the average citizen like you and me. Except today we won't be talking so much about the science as much as a different aspect of environmentalism, one that you might not expect, storytelling. We've seen the numbers, but behind every statistic is a story. And with me today, I have Miranda Davidock, an environmental storyteller from the Center for Biological Diversity, as well as the Wild Lens Collective, who uses the power of digital video and photography to share the story behind the statistics. I encourage you all to check out her work on her website, which is mirandadaviduck.com, which is Miranda David with a UK at the end.com. You can look at her work, some of which we'll be discussing today on the show. So Miranda, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me, Max. Of course. So I wanna jump right in. Uh, can you please tell me how you fell in love with environmentalism and, and photography and videography and how those two passions of yours kind of converged? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I'll start with one with um, environmentalism. Um, I grew up in Southeastern Pennsylvania on the countryside. Um, my house backed up into a wildlife preserve. So I spent a lot of time exploring those woods and those hillsides, um, both from my backyard and in the surrounding area. I spent a lot of time outside as a kid, um, even still in a, as an adult. And I mean, honestly, you just, you can't spend that much time outside and, and not wanna protect it. Um, I quickly became interested in wildlife and environmental conservation and advocacy, probably around um, college when there was a um, potential to develop um, over the preserve that was uh, adjacent to my backyard. And so I kind of fell into advocacy um, through that by getting involved with that. Um, as for storytelling, um, photography and video, um, kind of got started with photography from a young age. My grandfather was one of those grandparents who always had a camcorder attached to his hand. Um, and he actually got me my first um, digital SLR camera back in high school. Um, I started taking classes in high school um, with photography and was fortunate enough to um, have access to a dark room. So I learned on film, uh, um, how to develop, um, and then eventually switched to digital. And then a few years later, well, I guess more than a few years later, I found myself living in Southern California. Um, I started doing photography for weddings and portraits and um, some local businesses as well, doing some freelance work with them. Um, but I just really wanted to figure out a way to combine the two, my interest in photography, and then also my interest in wildlife um, conservation and environmentalism. And so that's what got me to go back to school and decided to pursue my graduate degree in journalism um, so that I could focus um, my talents and interests and combine them. Um, and while I was in school, I focused on uh, my storytelling on science, outdoor pursuits, the environment. Um, and that's also where I got interested in video production too during graduate school. So I'm a little bit newer on that side of media. Yeah, that sounds great. And you don't just do environmental storytelling. You also cover some other stories as well. For example, uh, women in STEM, is that right? Yeah, correct. Um, actually, my graduate um, uh, terminal project for grad school was um, looking at ways that the university community, um, specifically student groups have evolved in order to create community to foster, um, yeah, a sense of community um, for women and gender minorities in the STEM fields. Um, and also inspire and encourage the next generation of kids 
to pursue these um, these fields. Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds really good. Uh, but can you kind of give me a, a dictionary definition of environmental storytelling and and why you think it's so important to express uh, the the need for environmentalism? Sure, I'm not sure exactly what the dictionary would say, but. I, in my definition, I would say it really is what you make it. Um, it's telling stories about the environment, uh, those that live and interact with it, which really is all of us. And it can be really whatever you want it to be, whether that's like a large scale planet earth level production um, or something as simple as documenting the color of the sky during wildfire season with your iPhone, which is a series I actually did back in September this year. Um, why it's important, um, well, I mean, just for that example with my um, sky color series, uh, as many are aware, the West, we had a really terrible fire season this year. Um, I'd personally never experienced, experienced anything like it before. So over the course of, I guess it was probably a week or so, I took photos and video clips just from my backyard with my with my old iPhone every few hours to document the smoke-filled and orange-colored skies. And to me, that's environmental storytelling just as much as anything else. Um, I mean, you know, it tells the story of how the climate emergency that we're all experiencing is quite literally knocking out our back doors. Um, we see it worsening with these fire seasons in the West and we see it worsening with uh, other natural disasters across the country and world too. So I guess that's why it's important. The world is changing and, you know, it's important to document how it is now and, um, and also just hopefully inspire people to take action to protect it. Right. And I'm sure many of the listeners at home, you know, many of them are from LA, Pierce College is in LA. So, you know, when you say fires, we are, we're right there with you. You know, we oh, yeah. had some really bad fires as well. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, everybody's posting and whatever. And, and that's, I guess, uh, to, put, to put it in different words, they're documenting it as well as you are. So everybody's kind of an environmental storyteller in that sense. Exactly. So is there a particular uh, style that you ascribe to or, you know, how, how would you describe your style? Oh, my style. Um, I would say it's, it's natural, um, journalistic, colorful. Um, it's kind of easy to be colorful, I suppose, when, when the outdoors, um, tends to be your subject matter. Um, I try to keep the imagery true to life in terms of color, like what I see with my eyes when I'm making the image um, or the video is what I try to match it to when I'm in the editing process. Um, I guess for composition, um, I tend to favor the use of negative space or um, I guess for people that aren't um, in a creative background, it's like the space between or the space around the subject of an image. Um, so I try to use that whenever possible. So um, yeah, I would, I would definitely say boil it down to like just natural and journalistic would be my style. Right, okay. And what's your selection process for covering a story? Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of times it's just something that I'm curious about. Um, stories are everywhere and and that was kind of one of the things that I, I wanted to learn when I was in grad school. And it, it turns out that, yeah, the answer is super simple. Like there's stories all around us and, and just a matter of selection, like what, 
what are you interested in? Um, what have you noticed? What have you observed about um, what's around you? Um, part of the process is, you know, being curious and talking to people, asking questions and observing things, whether that's change, like the color of the sky. Um, and sometimes also they come from specific assignments too, whether that's, you know, professionally, like if you get hired on for a freelance project, which I have um, had the opportunity to do a handful of, or, you know, through school, for example, if you have a specific assignment, you take that and you um, find something that inspires you um, from that assignment prompt. Um, yeah, I mean, mainly I would say I, I pick things that I'm curious about or I'm interested about. Um, that's my, my usual. Right, right. And after you cover the story, I'm sure you have to find, you know, what kind of angle you're going to shoot this from or not literal camera angle, but like what, what's the story you're going to tell. And so do you often find that capturing, you know, natural landscapes and environments, do you find that they tell their own story and it's your job to just put it on camera or do you often have to create the story out of that? Well, I wouldn't say necessarily create the story, but sometimes you do have to find the story. Um, I would say, you know, in certain in certain situations, like they tell the story tells itself. Like for example, the the photo series um, of the fire colored skies, like that. You don't have to say too much other than that. It it pretty it's pretty clear what that is and what that means. Um, but there's other situations where, you know, you have to kind of think outside the box a little bit. Um, I did a project for um, graduate school that was really simple um, with the assignment and I took it in kind of an interesting direction in the environmental storytelling um, scope of it. And that was on backyard beekeepers. Um, I just thought that it was kind of neat. Backyard beekeeping had taken, um, has been like becoming very trendy and popular in recent years. And I was really curious about it, but when I got there, the story kind of found me in, um, in that these people actually started beekeeping because they wanted to help pollinate their own personal garden, but through you know, the trials and adventures, I suppose, of, of learning how to be beekeepers um, or keep bees, they learned a lot about the troubles and difficulties that bees are experiencing. Um, as a lot of folks know, bees are in a massive decline. Um, and they're super important for pollinating. Um, so I thought that that was kind of a neat example of, of a story sort of find, finding me because it's, I guess, an outline for like environmental or any sort of storytelling, um, looking at a broader issue um, or even just something that you're curious about and then narrowing in on a smaller focus. And so for this example, you know, it was looking at like, oh, this neat hobby that's popped up everywhere. And then it kind of found me into like, okay, how backyard beekeepers can help, can help sustain bee populations. And then looking at this specific couple, what they're doing and making sure that their bees are healthy so that when their bees, you know, are out of the hives and mingling with wild bees, they're not transmitting disease that would spread to wild bees and other populations. So yeah, sometimes it, it just finds you. Right. And I actually wanted to touch on that story, the backyard beekeepers, as well as a different story that you did. Uh, that was based on a woman who creates horseshoes. Um, so what about these, these people piqued your interest? You know, was it kind of them working with nature or 
you know, what, what about it was so interesting to you? Yeah. Um, well, I wish I could say that I had more profound intentions um, with these two stories, but they both came out of assignments from graduate school. I can't remember exactly what those assignments were, but um, yeah, I mean, they were just for things that I was interested in. Um, ultimately, like I really enjoy looking at how people interact with nature in the wild world. Um, and, you know, whether that's learning how to keep bees in your backyard or interacting with, with animals and, you know, the these horses weren't wild horses. Um, just still kind of was interesting. People and animals um, interacting is something that I always um, am interested in. And this this story in particular, um, I was fascinated by this farrier Kira that um, I stumbled across because um, female identifying farriers only make up six percent of the profession. So I thought that it was a pretty neat fact that I learned. Um, yeah, I'm not even sure how I came across her in the first place, but um, I was curious about women in this profession and what her what a day in her work life looked like. So, and capturing these people on camera, seeing a day in their lives, did that give you newfound respect for their professions and and nature overall? say necessarily so I I think all professions deserve respect no matter what that might be and I guess well I guess the beekeeping story um just gave me a sense of of hope um that there are so many other people like this couple that you know maybe stumbled upon a hobby that turns out to be pretty pretty darn good for the world um so I guess not necessarily like newfound respect for the profession or the environment, but just ways that people are capable of making a difference that matters. And do you find that, that people are more or less difficult to cover than say if you were uh, just covering animals or forests? Oh, I would say people are, are much less difficult to cover, um, just in the sense that, you know, you can talk to them. <laughs> you can't really talk to the trees and animals um, and expect well, you them can try. back. Right, you can try. Um, I'm unfortunately not blessed with those superpowers um, to be able to understand <laughs> the responses. Um, but I mean, and really, people are the, are the heart of the stories. Um, people are the ones that, that are in large part responsible for what's going on with the world and we're also responsible for making it better and that's not to say you know people are bad or anything um, a lot of this blame falls on large corporations not the individual um, but yeah the I would say people are really the heart of the story you know what are people what are people doing how are people making a difference how are people trying to learn about something why are people doing something um, people are fascinating. Of course, yeah. And just hearing it from your perspective gives me gives me a, a newfound respect for for everything that we've been talking about so far. But I do want to focus a little bit more on the Wild Lens Collective now. Um, I've talked in great depth about the Center for Biological Diversity. I've had a couple of guests on from there, but. The Wild Lens Collective is something I didn't hear about until I, I uh, read about you. So can you tell me what you guys do at the Wild Lens Collective? 
Sure. Um, well, to be honest, I haven't really had the opportunity to do too much with them quite yet. I'm still fairly new to the organization. Um, and of course, I am just thrilled to be on the roster amongst so many talented storytellers. Um, but basically, so the Wildlands Collective is a nonprofit um, artist collective. Um, so just like group of artists that focuses on um, really the combination, the intersection of storytelling, creative media, um, and environmental conservation and wildlife too. Um, so there's people across the whole globe um, involved with it. And it's really meant to be a community um, that offers things like mentorship, support, networking, um, to people that are interested in this type of work. And, and that can range from photography, video production, graphic design, podcasting. Um, I think they recently started up a podcast um, fairly recently um, and they've been interviewing different members from the collective, which is really cool. So yeah, it's a, it's a really cool group of people that are storytellers and artists and advocates. And I'm definitely excited to get more involved with them and, and have some projects to share with them. Right. And how did you find your way to the Wildlands Collective? I kind of stumbled upon it um, sort of by accident. I had posted something on Instagram um, and someone had reached out to me saying that I might be interested in this in this collective and to check it out. And so I kind of sat on it for a while because um, like a lot of people, I was experiencing some imposter syndrome <laughs> thinking like, oh, I'm definitely, you know, not you know, skilled enough or good enough to be among the ranks of these talented people. Um, so I didn't, I didn't reach out to them for several months after that. And then when I did, um, I think I had like a conversation and like filled out some questions on an email and uh, yeah, and then they welcomed me into the collective. And, and that's one of the really cool things about it too, is that, you know, I, I might not be, you know, a National Geographic photographer, um, at least not at this point in my life, but um, it's, it, you don't have to be like some big shot to be part of it. You just have to care and you have to be interested and invested um, in doing work that matters. And what are the uh, what are the range of topics that the Wildlands Collective covers usually? I mean, it's it's pretty broad under whatever fits under the umbrella of of wildlife and environmental conservation. Um, I would say it's it's a little bit more wildlife focused, um, but yeah, I would say pretty broad. Like whatever ties in environment and wildlife um, work. There's people from all over, so I wouldn't say there's one specific thing um, or genre that that gets worked on. It's pretty broad, but I de definitely encourage everybody to check out their website and see see what they're all about. It's a really cool group of people. Right, and you guys have a kind of a collection of of different, you know, feature length documentaries and and short documentaries. Yeah. Uh, are there any in particular that that you've seen that you've liked or something that interests one of those that interested you? Yeah, actually, I, I got to have a conversation with um, this young director of this film. Oh, I can't remember what it's called right now. Um, but she's, she's pretty young and she directed a full length feature documentary about um, our oceans and ocean health. Um, and we got connected through um, the Wildlands Collective. Um, and just, it's, it's awesome. I, I first off, I love seeing I love seeing young people um, 
get involved um, with advocacy and especially this kind of work with storytelling. And I mean, she, she just, you know, went out with a curiosity and, and caring about the ocean and just went at it and had, you know, a lot of trial and error along the way, but ended up producing an award-winning documentary. I wish I could remember what it was called. <laughs> yeah, that sounds really, that sounds really cool. It, it actually sounds, uh, her process sounds very similar to yours. So I guess, you know, great minds think alike. Mm -hmm. um, so is there something right now that you're covering that you can talk about or, or would like to talk about? Well, <laughs> mostly I'm catching up on a backlog of photo editing from the past year. Um, yeah, with the pandemic, I haven't been quite as active in producing content as, um, as I would prefer to be. I also work full-time managing um, the social media advertising program for the Center for Biological Diversity, which is definitely my primary focus. Um, and that's really fun too. I got to do a lot of um, writing and video editing and uh, photo editing for that. Uh, not so much on the filming side of things, but um, do a lot of work with that, which is really, which is really amazing to be a part of. Um, but outside of work though, I've been researching and planning um, a project that I've been interested in creating for a while. Um, and that's about um, like wolves returning back to Western Oregon um, and also just the whole United States and really how humans can learn to coexist with these animals um, in a healthy and sustainable way um, as they make their way back. Um, so wolves that have had a very contentious relationship with humans for centuries now, they were almost wiped to extinction um, from hunting and trapping, the endangered species helped bring them back. Um, specifically in Oregon, where I currently live, um, they have different protections on the eastern side of the state than the western side of the state. The eastern side, they have some healthier populations, and the western side, they're slowly starting to, to make their way back. Um, so the story that I've been researching and, and thinking a lot about um, starting work on is, is really how wolves coming back to the western side of the state, which is where um, the primary population centers are. Um, how that's going to work and how people are going to learn to to live with these with this species um yeah i'm i'm still very early in the brainstorm process of that um but it's a project i've been i've been thinking about for quite some time that hopefully once we resume to some form of normalcy in the hopeful near future um i'll be able to put some more groundwork in on that uh so what has covering environmentalism through photography, through videography, what has that taught you both about storytelling and about environmentalism? Well, I would say one of the big lessons that I learned um, is that you don't have to go, you don't have to go on a faraway expedition to do this kind of work. Um, you can literally pop out your back door. <laughs> um, there's so many environmentally focused stories to tell everywhere. You just have to be curious. You have to look. Um, you have to just observe what's around you and what's happening around you. And I can guarantee that no matter where you live, there are stories to tell right in your hometown. Um, for so long, I got wrapped up in the notion that like, you have to go on these massive expeditions for like to tell a story that matters. And that is not true at all. <laughs> There's so much important stuff happening right in your hometown. Um, so yeah, you just gotta, I would say that's like one of my big lessons and also, to piggyback off of that, you don't have to have fancy, expensive equipment either. You can use your smartphone or even an old film camera, um, whatever you have, you can find a way to make it work. 
And yeah, just similarly, like it's so easy to get caught up in the idea, like, oh, I have to have, you know, the latest and greatest gear. Uh, and that's not true. I mean, you'll certainly be a little bit, you'll have some limitations with it, but really like just use what you have to start and upgrade if and when you need to. Um, and for lessons about environmentalism, I would say the biggest lesson that I've really learned is that we are just so connected in this web of life that we are part of from the trees um, to the wildlife in the woods and in the deserts and out the ocean, the rivers, the city, like humans, we're just so part of this connected earth. Um, and it's, it's up to all of us to take care of each other, both as humans and as, as inhabitants of this planet. It, yeah, everything matters. It all matters. It's all connected. And yeah, I just really hope that people recognize that <laughs> we're all connected to this world and we need to be protecting it and each other. Right. Well, that was a great answer. And I think that'll be a great place to uh, stop this radio show since that is all the time that we have today. Miranda, I'd like to thank you again for coming onto the show. Thanks so much for having me, Max. And folks, you can check out her website, mirandadavidduck.com. Again, that's Miranda David with a UK at the end.com. I've shouted out the Center for Biological Diversity before, but I'll do it again. Check them out. They're doing very, very important work. Their website is biologicaldiversity.org, as well as the Wild Lens Collective. Please check them out. You can, we will find both mini docs and feature length documentaries on there from passionate environmental storytellers like Miranda. And hopefully in, in the near future, we'll see one of Miranda's uh, films up there. But that website is wildlensinc.org. That's all I got for today's episode. I'll see you guys next time.